and we're recording first episode with the new microphone so how fitting is it that we're you were in what the white house communications and now you're the first guest with the new microphone i guess our communications are jumping up a notch so what a coincidence coincidence. everyone's gonna start saying oh he's a Tommy's a government agent. Of course, he gets a White House guy on, and all of a sudden, the quality of his podcasts go up. They're still shit, but the audio quality is up. There so you go. It's, you got good sound anyway. Yeah, right? yeah. So the episode we did yesterday was longer than I normally do, and that, and which is fine. I fucking love doing long episodes. Um, but that's why that took forever to upload. It didn't. I don't think it got up until like six a.m. or seven a.m. So for everyone watching this who maybe didn't see that one, Mr. Beckenhauer was on yesterday's episode, and we talked about his time as a pilot in Vietnam. And today we're going to talk about his time in White House communications. And um, please bear with me, everyone, because I have no idea what I'm doing with this microphone. I am a caveman playing with a you know a surgeon's scalpel i have no idea what i'm doing so (laughs) you're just looking at me like you're an idiot it's it's working you know i said don't if it fix if it works don't fix it yeah so that's what i'm going to stick with is just let this thing run but um so yeah yesterday we talked about uh vietnam and so what all did you do in what i don't even know what what that consists of why don't you just take it away i'll start from the the beginning of the White House Communications Agency is called WACA uh, in the 1990s, early 1990s, before the Clintons came into office, was all military. Uh, I'm not sure how many people it was total, but when the Clintons came in, um, I'm not sure totally how the story went, but anyway, they decided there was too many military people working at the White House. Either the president did or the secretary of defense, somebody. But anyway, they made the decision to civilianize um, a lot of the positions. Now, the White House Communications Agency is responsible for everything in the White House that you communicate with. Mm-hmm. For instance, you know, telephones, all your computers, all the classified computers, all of the uh, well, the press conference room, which is primarily used for uh, press conferences and stuff. The um, see what else? Secret Service radio was the ones they speak into their um, uh, like wrist speech. No, yeah, and then you got on top of that the cell phones, and then you had uh, pagers, thousands of uh, pieces of equipment, and it's maintained then by the Waka office. Now, the, the 18 acres, which is the um, complex of the White House, the old executive office building, and it's the secure area within the White House. You can't get into the, that those buildings unless you've got a pass or some kind or you're on a tour of some sort. you got to go through the gates in order to get into that complex. It's the West Wing, East Wing, White House itself, mm-hmm. the old executive office building. Those are the primary buildings that, that are in. And then on top of that, there's probably about, uh, I don't know, 12 to 15 other buildings that are outside that fence. Uh, across the street from the White House, there's a um, Roosevelt Park, or uh, what does they call that park now? I forgot. I think it's Roosevelt Park. It's the one right in front of the White House. Mm-hmm. We park there where the um, you know, 
Colonel Jackson's statue is there. But to the left side of that, or on the west side of that park, there's a row of townhouses there that are built in the 1800s. But they all belong to the White House now. Now, the pecking order of people that worked at the White House, you know, if you work in the West Wing, that's the highest level. Uh, the next level is, uh, and it's mostly committees and that work in those uh, townhouses. And all those townhouses are wired with telephones, computers, and the works over there. And the White House conference room uh, is new back in the 90s when I worked there. <coughs> it was moved over to there. So you could enter the White House for a, a conference without having to bother the people at the front gate and the guards and all that mm -hmm. stuff. And it wasn't a secure area. So there was, you know, conference room set up there. On top of all that, you have the um, video tele teleconference facility, the Roosevelt Room, which is right next to the cabinet level room, had a video teleconference capacity, big screen and a table monitor, microphones. You could have a meeting, video teleconference anywhere in the world. From there, you also had a, a, the situation room, which is the, the highly classified area, which is underground and underneath and to the north or to the south of the old executive office building. And then you got the office of administration, which is a, uh, you know, that's the largest, basically the travel office, all those offices that write the paychecks and maintain all that stuff, all those computers and everything in there. So there's, there's a lot of equipment. And then you also have in the north side or no, the south side of the, the row houses there is where the Secret Service main offices are. And that's where they check in to draw their weapons, fire their weapons, and then report for duty for whatever's on there. So, and they pick up the radios and that. So our our company then was, well, the, the head of the, one of the chiefs of the military of the Waka group uh, was basically, he was a full colonel, retired and came back the next day as a government contractor. Mm -hmm and took over a lot of the responsibilities that what they did is divided up the white house communications office between the military <clears throat> which was responsible for everything inside the 18 acres as well as the air force one uh the air force one of course is an air force aircraft and it's maintained and taken care of everything on it by either boeing uh, northrop grumman has contracts to do certain things with it, as well as the Air Force itself maintains the aircraft mm. out there. But the communication, you want to check anything out, uh, you know, the radios don't work on the aircraft or the telephone on the president's desk doesn't work in Air Force One, the military takes care of that. Mm -hmm. Our company had nothing to do with, with Air Force One or any time the president traveled outside the 18 acres, uh, the military takes over that communications okay. uh, up. And sometimes if he, if he went to a local hotel in town, uh, we got called on and we'd go up to set microphones and, and make sure, you know, the, the LCD projector worked or anything like that, that was going to be used for a briefing and everything. Well, I, I got, a I was in the military in 1996. I was getting ready to retire. I'm sitting at a soccer game with my son and I'm talking to a, a guy next to me who ends up being the the full colonel that was um, working for Waka. Yeah. 
we're just sitting there talking and waiting for the game to start. And he asked me what I did. And I said, I, at the time I was working at the Pentagon and I was at uh, one of the um, action officers for the the skiff there. And, mm-hmm. you know, the situation or the. Can you explain to everyone listening what a skiff is? Yeah. And I was um, I was a medical service corps officer at the time, so that was my duty to sit in and you know if the general had any questions about medical service or what was happening. Yes. Can, can you? Yeah, I'll, I'll, that's what I do. I, I've been meaning to do that. If I have a question, I'll, I'll raise my hand. Can you yeah, explain yeah, to everyone yeah. listening what a skiff is? A secure yeah. compartmentalized information so, yes, facility. Yes, so secured classified information facility. Okay. It's, uh, it's it's a soundproof room. It's. Uh, it's nobody can listen in from outside the room every wire going in and every wire going out is is uh monitored so that there's nobody can listen to anything that's going on on the inside Mm -hmm. uh it's it's amazing what equipment that a spy can use to listen in on on things and they can't i was really really amazed when i was learning my job is that you could go to a hotel room and you you pull up your classified laptop and you're you know you're typing away on a thing and a spy could check in next door plug his computer in just to the wiring uh on the wall and monitor everything you're typing on your keyboard and that they have a capability of course the listening devices you know they make little robots the size of a june bug that could fly underneath the door mm-hmm. or land up on a Mm-hmm. You know, site the other room's got a camera on it, monitor everything you're doing. You know? Yeah, DARPA, DARPA was doing that in the 70s. A lot of people don't know yeah. that. DARPA, yeah. the Defense Advanced, it's, yeah. It's incredible, the communications yeah. equipment that's yeah. available. They were putting, a lot of people don't know that, the Defense Advanced, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency was legitimate, no, no hyperbole, was putting little cameras and microphones inside bugs in the 1970s yeah. per annie jacobson's book darpa the pentagon's brain yeah back to you well anyway the skiffs are you know you you've got little sensing devices that you check to make sure that nobody's listening in and you got jamming devices that are around that block frequencies anybody's mm-hmm. to listen in but a, a skiff is supposedly a, a a secure area and you can't you know every, everything going in and out of it goes through a scrambling device and then well i'm sitting there talking to this guy he asked me what i'm doing i said well I, i'm there and he said well what kind of clearances you got well you, you got to have a top secret of course and you got to have an sci which is a secured special what is that it's a special compartment compartmentalized yeah yeah, yeah. It's a, you, you're only only you can know in that particular room. If you walk with another room, you don't have business over there. You're not entitled to to mm-hmm. get that information either. So it gets it to the, even a higher level than the top secret level. And have you got to have those clearances? Well, he was he knew what was going to happen. Uh, he was coming out and he was going to have to hire people. And everybody in the military's got those clearances if you're working in the skiffs yeah. or working at the Pentagon where you're involved in any of that kind of activity. And uh, he said, well, you know, if you, when you put your resume together, give me a copy of it. He said, I'll help you write the thing and whatever. He said, but uh, when you get ready to get out, give me, give me a call and we can talk. I might have a job for you. So I thought, well, I said, well, what doing? He said, well, I'm working in the community. I said, I, I don't know anything about communications. You know, I'm a helicopter pilot. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So, uh, sure enough, you know, I retired and, and uh, this job came available at the White House for an additional staff member, but they had to make up basically a job for me mm-hmm. uh, over at the Drug Policy Office, the ONDCP, Office of Drug Control Policy. And uh, it was right about the time when Clinton was running for his second term. And if you remember, the drugs were going crazy at that time. So they needed a new drug czar. And uh, General McCaffrey, who was the Southcom commander in Panama, mm-hmm. was the perfect man for the job because he, you know, they're running drugs out through Panama all the yeah, time. He yeah. knew the, he knew the people, he knew the VIPs, he knew the presidents of those. He was the perfect man for the job to come in. Well, I I learned real quick when I got out. I got the job anyway, and and I got the job simply because I had the clearances, not because I knew anything. about communications equipment. He says, well, we got technicians that do all that stuff. He says, I just need you to get them in and out of these rooms. You have to have somebody that's got, you don't have to have a clearance to go in there, but you got to be with somebody that does. Mm -hmm. Do a skiff or handle equipment or pick up laptops or any of that kind of stuff. You got to have those clearances. So that's how I ended up getting the job. But the job entailed working for the drug policy office to start with and General McCaffrey coming in and needed to expand the offices where he was at. Well, his office was in the old executive office building, which is inside the 18 acres there. So I got our guys in there and and from the beginning where he needed a telephone, he needed a secure classified phone, he needed, uh, I say he needed a copier, printer, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'll tell you a story later on about how just complicated it is just to get a typewriter into the building or a computer into a building or just a file cabinet. Really? I got a really fun story I can okay. tell you okay. about that. Okay. <laughs> it's pretty complicated, but but the equipment itself is uh, most of it is non-classified. Most of the computers everywhere within the facilities are non-classified, but you have the classified areas that you have to have those uh, particular laptops or the, the PCs or the radio equipment or whatever is, is called that's considered classified equipment. <laughs> And uh, so my job was to facilitate getting all of those offices up and running, wired and get them, get the equipment for them in there and then train the people that are gonna be using them and, and doing that kind of stuff. So that's what I started off as for the, about the first nine or 10 months. And my boss at the time was one of the chief technicians, uh, but they didn't need a technician doing that job. They, they needed a basically a program manager. So, when I was ready and been knew the area and knew what was going on with all this stuff, basically then I took over as a project or the program project manager. Eventually became the program manager when the nine uh, eleven happened. Mm-hmm. We expanded uh, to the office of uh, Homeland Security, and that later became the Department of Homeland Security because our company had an existing contract within the White House itself. Um, we were able to expand out into, because everything that's going to be involved with the Homeland Security Office was going to be uh, right off the bat was everything's top secret. You know, I mean, even even the garbage cans were top secret. You couldn't move, <laughs> move them in and out. You know, you can imagine the tension and the pressure that yeah. was at that. So uh, that was later on. I started, like I said, 
1996, 2001, our company really changed. We were about 25, 30 people um, up until 9-11. And then once 9-11 happened, we basically by in the next six years, we expanded to almost 400 employees, uh, which basically took over uh, setting up all of Office of Homeland Security and then setting up the Department of Homeland Security equipment and that out at the, the Navy complex out on Nebraska Avenue. But my job grew basically from being a project manager within the Office of Drug Policy Office to when I became the program manager where I took over. Our company then was growing. We took over all of the daily press conferences, which uh, for the communications part of that, it's just setting the podium up, putting the microphone very similar to the one you got there in front of you there right now, set that up yeah. and then wire that back to the malt box of where the press conference or the press people could come in and plug in and they're gonna record anything or hook their cameras up. They've got sound system right from the microphone. So the, we had two or three employees. That's all they did was maintained all that equipment. <laughs> Excuse me. That that job, I I knew nothing about that equipment. But my by my third or fourth day on the job where I was working at drug policy office, my boss sent me over. He said, "Well, you're going to have to learn what those people do over there. You might as well go in and sit in on the daily press conferences for a week or two and mm -hmm. see what those guys do, and you get to know the people, our people that work over there." And that that was a one of my. I thought I got fired the first week I was going to work because. When I went to the press conference, uh, you know, you, you know, you're familiar with the daily the daily briefing. Yes, that, that's what I'm talking about. But, you know, you got the picture of the White House mm -hmm. behind you, mm -hmm. and flags on both yeah, sides, yeah, yeah. and the press come in, and and that's held on the on between the West Wing and the White House itself. There's it's the old, it was the old swimming pool that the that uh, President uh, Kennedy yeah. swam in. Before that, it was a bowling alley. Mm -hmm for president eisenhower so there's a lot of history behind yeah, yeah, all these yeah. things and then uh they covered up the swimming pool and put a floor in there and that that's where the press conference room is it's no longer there they've moved it over across to the other side now but they had uh uh these this podium well the first day i'm there if it's just the press secretary speaking the seal is not on the podium okay uh, and if the president's going to come in and, and answer questions or whatever, you got to make sure his presidential seal is on that podium. Now this is this is getting down to the little nitty gritty stuff yeah, that yeah. you got to do. But the important thing about a White House job is there is no room for failure. Yeah. I mean, you got redundant systems on everything. Yeah. A microphone there, if that microphone doesn't work, and the president walks up there and starts talking and it fails, you basically you're you're gone. Yeah. You're fine. You're you're finished. Has to work. And then yeah. you got a, a third system usually where you can put one more up there if you need to. Well, so we got the podium and the podium's always sitting there, but it depends on whether the president's speaking or not and whether you put that that seal on. You know, so that's that's a big deal. That seal better be there yeah. when you come in. So is is it like Air Force One, where it's like any plane that the president's on is Air Force One? Otherwise, it's like a VC twenty five hundred or something. Yeah. Is it's, it, well? It's just, yeah. It's just a. a it's just a. A uh, seven forty seven. Seven forty seven. Yeah. You know. Is the seal? What is this? Is it like a metal placard that you go up and hang on? Is it like a magnet? Well, no, it's uh, it's a little seal. It's maybe ten, twelve inches in diameter, and it's plastic. Okay. Lightweight. Just go slap it on. Yeah. Okay. Well, a little nailer, and you just yeah. Yeah. It okay. Okay. 
and uh, it's uh it's uh well they you know you got to watch those things people love to walk off with them because uh, they're souvenir big souvenir i would love to have one <laughs> <laughs> getting one i can slap behind here i would love that <laughs> I stole that from the White House. Exactly, you know, that's, that's great, exactly what great I would do. Great souvenir to have. So anyway, we're setting up, and I'm just, you know, fly on the wall. I don't know what's going on. And uh, the, the I said, well, was it ready to go? And he was he's the, the guy that's in charge there was telling me what has to be done. And he says, and then uh, I forget who he was. George Stephanopoulos walks in the door there and he okay. says, he was press secretary type. He says, uh, oh, we got to have, the president's going to come in and answer some questions. I said, oh, that's pretty cool. I'm going to get to see the president. And I'm sitting back here as Clinton at the time. Yeah. So I walked to the back of the room where the, the malt box set up and where our guys are sitting in a booth and running the microphones and all that. And then my boss says, well, we forgot, we, the, you know, we're going to have to get the seal on there. And I said, well, where's the seal? He said, well, it should be over there in that cabinet in the drawer. So I pulled the drawer open, not in there. You know, I said, oh, my gosh, now it's panic. <laughs> Three minutes before the president's supposed to walk in the room. So I asked the one of the guys there, the, the White House guys, I said, what, where do I get the seal? He said, I just walked down the hallway there, asked that secretary sitting at the desk down there. Well, that's my first time into the West Wing. So I walked down the hallway, not knowing where I'm going, right? Mm-hmm. So I walked right down the hallway, and here's... I walk in and here's what's her name, Betty Curry, the president's secretary, which is just very, so she's on the phone and she looks very annoyed when I walked in and finally she, you know, and I, I'm just standing there patiently and I'll remind you, the day before I'm a full colonel in the army and I got all kinds of power. Now I'm just a nobody. <laughs> right? I walk in, she has no clue who I am or what I'm there for. Yeah. Puts the phone back and she says, what do you want? You know, it's indignant. I said, well, I'm, I'm supposed to pick up the seal, you know? And so she, she turns like that and she says, well, just take that one. You know, and there's one hanging on the door there. You know, I had no idea that's the door into the Oval Office. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. So I, no, I just pop steel off, run down, stick it on the podium. <laughs> no big deal. We go through the press conference, get all done. Well, then I go, I said, well, I better take it back. Perfect, yeah. Over, I'll take the, take the seal back. I take it back down. And just as I'm about to hang it on the door, the door opens up, right? Clinton said back there, here's George Stephanopoulos and Leon Panetta, who I uh-huh, think was director the, of the CIA. The staff at the night, wasn't he chief of staff or something? Anyway, L- later on, he, he was working, yeah. Later on, no, he became CIA. goes ballistic on me. What are you doing? You can't, you can't take that seal off. And I said, Well, I'm just returning it. And I look over to her, thinking, Well, she's gonna back me up and saying, No, she just kind of looked the other way. Like, I, told I don't know what it. he's doing. Yeah, <laughs> I told him not to take it. Yeah, he went off on me. It's like, what the world? You so worried about the little seal on a door, you know, that you got to get so upset about. So anyway, he said, get the hell out of here, you know. So I walked out and go back down. And I'm thinking, well, I'm done. You know, <laughs> it, was <laughs> fun. Over. Yeah. it was nice working here for a couple of days anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, I went back and told the boss, he said, well, let me let me take care of damage control, you know. So, uh I don't know how he spun it, but anyway, I, I kept on working <laughs> through that. But I learned a lesson real quick about the pecking order of who works for who at the office. And, and uh, 
is what what to do and what not to do and the right time and the right place. You know, is there was a can I ask about another that? incident where when we yeah go ahead. Sorry, I think we have like a one second delay, so I, I keep yeah. Okay. But um, I don't know if I can ask about or if, or if you can answer about this. Is security something? loosely similar to like an airport where it's like once you're in like you're good like you don't have to like you don't have to be like checked to go to the bathroom you don't have to be checked to go into like you know the little knickknack store in the airport once you're in you're good so like for someone like you you go pick up the seal i mean i'm just looking at it from someone like you know you find any weakness you know if, if i'm someone that is like a foreign agent you go pick up the seal well if you go free to pick up the seal who's to say that there's not like a shape charge on there right exactly it's right. i mean the head of the yeah. secret service um i forget uh, uh lou merletti he had to he actually had to scold like president clinton and bush because they were um annie jacobson talks about this in her book surprise kill vanish because they would take phone calls from people, you know, people would hand them their phones and they say hi to my grandma, you know, like, hi, grandma, this is Bill Clinton, you know, or like whatever. But Lou Merletti had to show them like uh, images of like what they would do overseas. And they'd be like, dude, we give people phones with charges in them to blow their head off. Right. So that's what I'm wondering is what is and I don't know if you can answer that. And I can't, basically, that's a really good question because there's different levels of security inside the 18 acres. Mm -hmm. To get inside the initial wall, there's different levels of passes. And you see that you've got to have that pass around your neck. If you go to work one day and you forget your pass, you're basically screwed. You got to go back home and get it, you know. But the, the passes that you have around your neck are different colors. And I, I don't know if I can remember. I know the blue one is one that gets you right into the Oval Office. You can walk all the way in without being questioned. Every door, though, basically has a guard on it, and there's layers of security as you go in. Yeah. Uh, where where the main staff, I mean, there's, there's uh, well, a total over 4,000 people work at the White House. You know? uh, not all of them work in the West Wing in the old Executive Office building, because some of them work over in the admin building, and some of them work over in, in some of the side offices on the west side of the Pennsylvania Avenue there in 17th Street, but the, you know, and there's there's three there was three different levels of three different colors of badges that you wore, and um, the, you know if you didn't have that right color badge, you couldn't go any further and penetrate any closer going in. Yeah. You know? So the initial, most people all had, I think was a yellow colored badge. That got you into any building uh, outside of the West Wing and the White House itself. The, the West Wing was where the top level staff, you know, president's primary staff works in the West Wing. Vice president's offices in there, uh, press conference rooms, all of the chief of staffs and all those are off in there. And there's not that many working there. Probably 20, 25 people work in that area. Then over in the old executive office building, which is where Ollie North and all those, you know, the National Security Agency and yeah. the uh, travel off, some of those other offices are in that area. Um, and that's a that's a that was built during World War II or mm-hmm. not World War II the Civil War. That's where the original State Department um, Secretary of War and uh, there was a third office. There was a, you know that building was built for that. And it's on the west side of the West Wing. It's a great big building, and it's it's like I said, it's four to five 
levels high and it's beautiful building it's gorgeous marble flooring and uh, but it's old I mean it's really old yeah and they just gone through a, a you know they built it for like seven hundred thousand dollars back in the 1860s yeah so and they just went through a seven million dollar renovation of the thing yeah. just completely remodeled it put in all new wiring and stuff and modernized it for the modern communications bill that's we were heavily involved in some of that with the wiring and cabling and stuff running for uh, each of the rooms uh, and getting in there so anyway that was that was the different levels of security when you get in. So you walk in, you got that badge, and it's it's visible. Yes. And, and there's guards at every door, uh, and those are White House police. They're not the, the D.C. police. They're, they're Secret Service agents. You know that that's their uh, the Secret Service job is to protect the president. Yeah. And and that zone right there, the 18 acres. Uh, outside of that, they protect the president when he's on the move. They, they completely range for all transportation stuff. Uh, police Department, Lincoln, like the Washington Police Department, assists them in everything outside the gate. But once they go inside that gate, the Secret Service has that mission. So, question is, so with those like inner security circles, so I mean, even if you're like, you're a police officer, they, they won't let you in. They don't know who you are. They don't care who you, you are. You don't have that badge or you don't have a reason to be there. Even if you have a badge, if you don't have a reason to be there, you're not. You, you're not you, can't, just, you can't just loiter. You can't be like, right. I'm going to go no. hang out. Yeah. The reason I could get in is because my purpose was either run wiring or cabling or install a computer, bring somebody in and out. I could get in and out, but it, there had to be somebody put in a request to replace a laptop or whatever yeah and then i could bring a technician in and work on it or whatever you know the job and the task was for the daily press conference i was allowed into that area because i was the supervisor of the men that worked in there yeah so with, with like with like the and again it's okay if you can't answer this with the layers of security right like like I have a I have a fireproof safe next to me, fireproof waterproof safe that has the hard drives in it that store this podcast. Shockproof, waterproof, they can just take it. Like the house can burn down and this will be fine. I can, granted I'm 30 now, but let's say I was 15. You know, I can like lock the door and you know tell my little brother or older brother that's my room. You can't go in there. But that's again that's kind of a social agreement this is like a physical they can break down the door and come in here but they won't be able to get into that and this is one thing i've always thought about the white house is it more of that like social agreement like you can't come in here you'll be shot or is there actual layers like you know disguised as just walls and rooms but are there actual layers to the white house like you physically can't get past that wall it's not drywall it's like concrete it's i don't yeah, know if you can answer are, that like physical especially in highly classified areas sure. there are barriers i mean you say there's a break-in yeah. guy jumps a fence. Yeah. all of a sudden doors will close doors get locked everybody's got a, a mission that they have submachine gun yeah and i know it's positive yeah. pressure now have you ever noticed the people walking around upstairs on top of the white house yeah the snipers you see them up there there's snipers up there all the time yeah every every day 24 hours a day seven days a week yeah there's and now since 9-11 they carry loss i mean they can shoot down an aircraft from there jesus that's awesome but they better be a good shot yeah <laughs> well yeah I've, well i think it was Lou Merletti. i could be putting words in his mouth i don't know if he's still the head of the secret service 
but he said they were putting like SAM sites like under the grass. They would pop up and you could take down anything. I don't know how yeah. true that is. That might be bullshit. But they also one thing I do know is I know that there is a positive pressure in the White House, meaning there's a slightly higher air pressure. So if you open the door, air always goes out, meaning any just you can't walk by and just, you know, nonchalantly throw an invisible gas can and hope that the gas goes into the White House. You open the door, the air is always flowing out. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. For gas, it's a gas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And then again, as you go through these different layers, doors lock. The doors get thicker the deeper in you go. <laughs> you know, there there's a safe room basically, yeah. and there's uh, hallways that are basically bombproof. Yeah. Uh, there's tunnels. I mean, through between different places. I can't tell you where. Sure. That that's all classified. But the, the situation room itself is where you know the morning of the attack uh, with this. Uh, American Airlines, the number was it? Number 11 was coming out from Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and they weren't sure where it was going. Um, well, I might as well tell that little story. I was working, yeah, that morning. please do. Yeah, it had to come into the uh office basically. You know, I was working in my office, but my office was across the street on 17th Street. Uh, but I had employees that worked inside the press conference room but the ones i had on duty that morning were on uh the, they run the equipment in the uh, situation room mm-hmm. which the highly classified room and i don't know if you remember the picture where uh they took down osama osama bin laden and the president and secretary of state and all that, yeah, yeah. that that's that's taken in that room in the situation yeah my first time I walked in that room, I was shocked at how small it is. It was, you know, it's it's not much bigger than like a fourteen by twenty room. That's it. You know, from yeah. the videos, it looks like it's, you know, yeah, the size of the Oval Office or bigger, but it's yeah. about half the size. There's actually there's about fourteen people can sit at the table, and that's it. You know, <laughs> so it's it's a pretty small room. But to get into that room, though, there's barriers that it's a vault basically, yeah. and it's so I, I don't know if it's capable and it, that's probably classified as a whether it's nuclear you know yeah safe or not but uh i imagine it's pretty darn secure down here yeah yeah that's where the vice president was at and was running the operations mm-hmm. of the of the uh uh because the president was out of town that morning the vice president was running the show at the white house well I got a call right after the second tower got hit. I called my ball. I was watching TV uh, that morning. Uh, I usually had a TV up here. I was monitoring when I was working at my computer or whatever. And we had four guys that were working in the the, the skiff, and they they called me and said, "Hey, are you watching this?" And I said, "Yeah." I said, "I can't believe it. it's a clear morning like this, and airplane hit that." I said, "I." I just can't believe that's an accident. You know? yeah. and they said, "Well, we're not treating it like that over here." Oh, so when the first plane said, hit, they they were understand because they have to go on full alert here, you know. So, and sure enough, I about I don't know twenty minutes after that, the second plane hit. Yeah. Sorry. So when the first plane hit, they weren't because I know like this. I was only eleven, but I I know the story everyone heard was you know oh my gosh how did that happen? And then it wasn't until the second plane hit that it was okay. This is an attack. 
So at the White House, the first plane went in and they said, this is an attack. They were on full alert. They okay. said there's no way. You know, but that, that's automatic that they do that. I yeah. don't think they they were aware, of course, that it was a real attack. I mean, they still They treat it like that, though. They, they're treated like that regardless. Yeah, it's an abnormality from the norm. A plane hit a exactly. skyscraper. Something's up. Exactly. exactly. Okay. And it means that FEMA, at the very least, is going to be activated. Yeah. You know, which is has to come from the president. Yeah. Sorry for, course, I, I know I know I keep interrupting you. I just get excited and I have I have a lot of questions. Sorry. <laughs> so where was I? Okay, okay so yeah. I, I go over to the, to the old executive office building and my staff member there, and that's the, the second building been hit. So I, I goes, he, you know, we got the order from the, to bring in all our staff. We have, we have people that ran that conference room 24 hours a day. The, the skip and so you have to have at minimum four people but we've got like 16 people that are qualified to run that equipment and know what's going on mm-hmm. and when things gear up and there's a lot going on you need more people on telephones and making sure people are entering you know there's just a lot of activity so you need more more staff down there so i go run back to my office to make these phone calls because i got all my phone numbers and everything on my phone at the at my office and uh, as I'm walking out of the old executive building on the north, would it be the northwest corner, out onto 17th Street, I heard this big explosion. Saw all the smoke come up, you know. And I just, and I looked over, and I said, you know, what the heck? Why would they hit the Washington or the Lincoln Monument? I thought from the looks of the smoke and as close as it was, you know, you're only two blocks away from the Lincoln Memorial, but the the Pentagon's about a, I don't know, it's maybe a mile away, you know. And the way that shock wave came blasting across where we were at, you know, it, all I heard was the sound from it, which is enormous ex- explosion. And then, of course, you just instantly saw all this smoke coming up. Now, what the heck, you know? And I ran back to my office and I'm doing things. And then my, one of my employees calls up and says, we've been ordered to evacuate. I said, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, we've got another airplane inbound. They don't know where it's headed, you know. So I go running back over. And, of course, everybody's, I couldn't even get back in now. Everybody's been ordered by the Secret Service. They're on, out in the hallways ordering people out of the building. They opened up the gate on the north side, told everybody just get out of the building. <laughs> You know, because of the, I mean, the threat was that that aircraft, the inbound aircraft, was was probably going to hit the hit the terror. I found afterwards that, uh, and this is like two hours afterwards, that they they thought they had eleven airplanes were missing, and they didn't know at that time yet whether all eleven of them were been taken over yeah. or what. Of course, there was only the one, yeah. and that was the one that crashed in Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah, went in up there, but. The, the most amazing thing that day that really impressed me is Vice President Cheney. You know, I've worked in skiffs for probably 15 years during Desert Storm and, and uh, uh, what's the other one called when we invaded Afghanistan. But anyway, I worked in the skiff in Germany and I worked at the skiff in, in, uh, at the Pentagon. They, you know, and it's usually generals in there running things. And then when stuff's going down, you know, their their excitement level is, you know, things are pretty tense. You've got to make decisions right away and things can be get, get real hairy. 
and it's you know everybody drill stay calm stay yeah. calm stay calm president clinton or uh, Pre- vice president cheney came in that morning i mean he took charge better than any four-star general i ever saw and the guys that worked there said it's just amazing really? and he just came in it's like you know he does this every day and i was like okay let's just ground every aircraft out of he made that decision basically himself before yeah. speaking to the president yeah. get every aircraft well that never ever been never happened yet. in the united states yeah yeah, and then here's the Secret Service guys. Well, how do we get a hold of air traffic controllers? <laughs> You're the military. Do it. <laughs> that, that, that call goes to the military, yeah. And, of yeah. course, that, that all happened within 10 minutes after yeah. he gave the order. Every aircraft was ordered onto the ground, well, which was yeah. quite a feat in itself. And that's when uh, uh, they discovered that, well, they got 11 airplanes here still out in the air somewhere. We don't know what's going on. Well, then this one is headed for Washington, D.C., and, of course, the— they launched these two F-16s out of mm-hmm. Andrews Air Force Base. Neither one of them armed because yep. I didn't yep. time to arm them. Yeah, that's a great story, actually. The pilot that's been corrected. Yeah, yeah. The the, the pilot's name I, I forget the guy's name, but I know the the other F-16. Her name was a uh, Penny or is Penny? She's still alive. Yeah. But yeah, they went up, yeah. and their plan was um, they were going to find the airliner, and she was gonna. They were going to come at it perpendicularly, and she was going to ram the cockpit, and he was going to ram the uh, tail. Yeah. And in case one of them missed or it wasn't a fatal shot, they were going to kamikaze it. They were going to yeah. go. They were going to line up. Yeah. Only chance ahead. They yeah. wouldn't divert. They were going to. Yeah, they were going to line up, get it in their sights, and then they said that they were just going to thrusters forward and just you know, kamikaze yeah. that. You could imagine that if that would have happened, God, you know, it would have probably been over the city, a oh, lot yeah. of people on the ground, houses burned. Oh, you know, yeah. But I mean, perhaps, yeah. But the worst thing is if it had made it through and hit the, actually hit the White House. Yeah, which is why, yeah. It might have hit the Capitol, you know, because the First Lady was in the Capitol. Both houses were in session. They could, they would have wiped out the whole whole government that morning. It would have been a decapitation been. attack the Soviets could have never dreamed of. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of things happened that morning. But anyway, I, I had to, I stayed on duty all day that long, all day that day, because of, I don't know if you remember, but um, there's a famous photograph where uh, President Bush is talking to Cheney inside Air Force One, and he's talking on the phone. That day, we had, uh, we had gotten orders to as a company to install video teleconferencing equipment that was capable and they wanted he wanted uh video teleconferencing this bush now yeah. this bush administration, to uh be able to do video conferencing from air force one to anywhere in the world yeah <coughs> which meant you know to the white house which is was our job to install that video teleconference. the first time that was tested it had been tested yet it was in it been installed but the first time <laughs> cheney used that video teleconference room was that morning it worked. Yay. <laughs> it worked. Hey, talk about a baptism by fire, man. That's um who was it? The head of the F was it the head of the FAA? His first day was September eleventh, two thousand one. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. I mean, well that would have been <laughs> hey, baptism man. by fire too. Huh? I mean, hey, every day after that is easier. <laughs> yeah. Every day for the rest of your career is easier. Right. Well, there's a lot of a lot of other things that happened. One one of the stories uh, when you uh, 
asked a question about security. That was one of the things I wanted to tell you the uh, story. When General McCaffrey was moving into the old executive office building, he was up on the second or third floor, maybe something like that. Um, he wanted all, you know, the, the office had been abandoned and it was sitting empty, basically with no furniture in it. And uh, it came down to me for my guys to install the furniture as well as all the computer equipment and everything a telephone the computer the copy machines the fax machines anything that you communicated with out of there he wanted a top secret phone and a regular uh unsecured landline mm -hmm. so i said well i asked my boss well how the heck you do that i don't know nothing about furniture he said well you go out to this warehouse on the south side of town it says you pick out the furniture that you need that he wants and he gave me a list of stuff the desk and the credenza and the you know the couple file cabinets and the secretary's desk, et cetera, et cetera. Whole truckload of stuff. So you go out there and you pick that out and you label it. And they said, then they got to take that. They got to take a truck, um, which is a White House truck. And they go out and they pick that furniture up. Then they take it out to the Navy Yard and they got to run it through security out there. And they got it through a magnetron to make sure oh. no explosives or anything in it. Yeah. And they got to put it back in the truck, lock up the truck. Secret service agents got to be there. And then they got to drive that truck with secret agent behind it. So nobody can plant a bomb in between the Navy Yard, which is like a five mile trip from there over to the to the 18 acres. Well, then you got to get us through the gate there. So you got to notify the guy there. You got this truck coming in at a certain time. And you get, they give you like a five minute window mm -hmm. where he's got to be right there at that gate at that time. Because all the other traffic yeah. there's always going on around there. So we get this window. Well, I, I had to hire uh, oh, four or five guys, and they're all, they're all uh, Argentinians. Immigrants, well, they're probably all illegal. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> a company that we were told what company to use, and these guys have clearances and they could come in. So I met them at the front gate on the north side of the White House. The truck backs up and uh, we get all the paperwork, to, and they get up and they inspect the lock and everything, make sure it hadn't been penetrated. And then we, we bring it in. Well, there's a certain door that you have to use to move furniture in, a certain elevator you have to use in order to move the furniture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> of course, you got to have all of the the clearances inside the building and where you're moving, and they got to know you're doing, and like you said, all those layers of security you got to get through. And it's just not... You know, it takes three hours of paperwork and yeah. coordination just to move a, a, a computer in. Yeah, you know? but it but it makes sense, right? Because I mean, oh, yeah. if yeah. you wanted to attack the president, you know, no one's you're not going to try to me and ten yeah. friends are going to go run up with guns. No, you're going to do something covert. You're going to find out that the president needs a new couch, and you're going to get that couch, and that's the last thing anyone would expect. You're going to go in there. You're going to maybe put some like needles in it that are tipped with polonium or something, right? It's but. That's what they do, right? Red cell teams. Put a camera on it or something. Sure, right? but that's isn't that what a red cell team is? Is well, they'll they'll hire like Navy SEALs or Delta and be like, try to find our weaknesses because that's how you do it. Because it's not about protecting it; it's about having someone else actively. So you, if you, a civilian like me can be like, yeah, you should you should put some uh, pl polonium dust in there, or maybe some VX gas, or you know, a shape charge under the cushion, like. 
<laughs> I mean, if you're, but if you're talking about the head of the leader of the free world with the, the power to have the nuclear codes, that's the kind of threat you're going up against, right? Is stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I know with Air Force One, when they buy food, what they do is they send plain clothes agents out to like grocery stores in like an adjacent city because it's like that's the last place anyone's going to be like, let's poison this food. It's like you don't go to the grocery store down the street from the White House. You go, you drive 30 miles and go to some gas station and you pick up some deli sandwiches. Like that's the only way you can be sure. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you're you're pretty, you know, I think you read too many Tom Clancy books. <laughs> or, or I'm just. <laughs> but yeah, all that stuff is pretty real. And, it, and I said that security is just super tight, especially with 9-11, you know, any time there's a threat. Yeah, a real threat. The security level goes up even higher, and I can imagine what it's like this week. The inauguration week is the worst. There's twenty thousand National Guard troops there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing if you, you know, if you you got that many people in town, well, what should happen? Well, it's weird though because it's. Would not want to be in charge of any of that, you know. What's weird about this inauguration? I don't mean to go off on a side tangent. Is is it's going to be virtual. It's not going to be, they're not doing a real inauguration, but they're still bringing in 20,000 National Guard. Yeah. And then, well, they got a thousand people that are invited that will sit in the, in the bleachers that are around the White House here. You saw that yeah. all set up. And, I, and there's still going to be a parade. Yeah. Uh, as far as I know, they haven't called the parade off yet, have they? I, I think they did. That's good. They did call off the parade? I could, I might be fake news, but I'm pretty sure they canceled it. I'll be darned. Well, that'll be really something if they Ooh, do that. It's uh, going to be what? It's going to. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Reagan. Reagan is the only one that's ever called off the parade, but it's because it was like seventeen below zero that morning. It's just like screw it, I'm not doing this. No, I, well, he didn't want all those people. Yeah. I mean, parade to go off for a band to get uh, bands have got to be down there seven o'clock in the morning, go through security and all. I mean, it's a it's a horrible nightmare if you're in the parade. Yeah. What you got to do to get get in there and if you're standing out there for seven hours waiting for you know your little two minute hall of thing to yeah. walk down the street you're crazy you you're know? gonna probably die of hypothermia yeah yeah well let me go back to the furniture story sure sorry uh, sorry yeah no problem <laughs> what's a good side tangent we we get on the elevator and i get up to the elevator and as i walk off the elevator there's two secret service stands standing there in front of the door you know, I thought, oh, what that means is the president's in the building or he's coming into the building. Mm-hmm. He, you know, the old executive office, just a two-minute walk from the old office there. Well, if the president's on the area, you, you ain't moving furniture up and down the hallway when you're doing it, right? And I'm paying these guys 15 bucks an hour, and I got four or five of them sitting there, and I'm going, gee, you know, now I got to wait here an hour. And I saw him. I said, hey, what's the chances of, and all I wanted, all I had to do was come off the elevator, make a left turn, go about four doors down and put the desk in the dang door, in the door. It would take me 30 seconds to do this. Well, the secret says, no, can't move. As soon as the president goes by and we're clear area, then you can do it. So I'm waiting, we wait and we're waiting and waiting 15, 20 minutes go by. <laughs> Secret Service agent says, blah, 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 blah. "Yeah, well." Anyways, he weighs me over and he says, "Okay, you can go," but he says, "Go around the other way." And I thought, you know, go around the other way. That's that's about three hundred yards to go all the way around the other way, and I've got to go up like six 
16 stairs up and 16 stairs down. There's no elevator and no ramp or anything down there. And these heavy desk. And I mean, these guys are grunting to get this stuff around. And mind you, this is like in July. It's the hottest day of the year. These guys are stinking sweat, you know, carrying this, juggling this stuff all around. So I told the guys, okay, and they don't know that they're only three doors down is where they're really going. Yeah. So we walk and we get these trolling and get all the way down. We get a, we go clear down the other end and back across the other side of the building, all the way down the other end of the building and back up the, up the stairs, back down the stairs, put them back all on the trolleys, and we get all the way down to the to the door where we're going in, and and I see the elevator or the elevator doors opening. So these guys don't speak English, but I'm trying to tell them the president of the United States is going to come through that door any second now, you know, they finally understood what, what I was saying, you know, so they, they're all standing there and I said, boy, they get to see the president of the United States. And sure enough, door opens up, president Bush comes out, he makes a right turn. He heads to the conference room. And as he comes out, he looks to the left and sees my guy standing there and I'm standing behind him with the furniture and I got my cell phone on and I'm talking to my boss. Because I'm saying, you know, he's wanting to know why I'm taking so long to get this job done. So here comes president, right? He makes a right turn, takes about two steps, talks to a secret service, says, just a minute. He says, I want to go say hi to these guys. (coughs) He comes over and walks right up. I'm I'm from from here to, you know, two feet in front of me. Here's the president of the United States, George Bush. And he's shaking hands with these four guys sweat running down their head and their eyes are about this big yeah. <laughs> they cannot believe President Bush would come over and say and he comes over and says I just you know want to thank you guys for helping out with whatever you're doing here he says yeah. it's like you're working pretty hard but I just want to know what I appreciate you doing and helping our, our guys and support here you know and he turned around and walked off and I'm sitting there on the telephone talking I said boss you ain't going to believe what I just saw <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had a camera and yeah. got it. I mean, it was just the way George Bush was. I mean, yeah. he just be somebody that was helping. He'd just go over and say, hey, you know, thanks. Thanks. For what you doing? Where other presidents would look down their nose and yeah. would, you know, how indignant that they would talk to somebody that's moving furniture sure. you know, and be way below their level. Sure. But he just instantly made the decision to do it and went over. And of course, these guys, you know, they probably never washed their hands for a month. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I had I had on a guy, um, uh, Sean Tiger, who was in the Marines and was in the presidential support team. So they did security at the they did. Yeah, like a beefed up security. They were the Marines that would be there. They were cleared to be in the Oval Office. Like there's pictures of him with uh, with Bush and as well as Camp David. And uh, he talked about one time there at Camp David and uh, there was like some downtime. So they started playing like video games, just the security. (laughs) And they said at one point they're playing and his buddy is like sitting, there's like a TV and they're kind of at like, you know, oops, like opposite kind of spots. And he's looking and there's a door to his left, but he doesn't see it. But he just sees his friend stop playing and look up. And, and he's like, why did you stop? And there's a hand on his shoulder and it's just George Bush. And he's like, he's like, what are you guys playing? And he was just, he's like, I was at a loss for words. He's like, I'm playing video games. And there's, there's Bush going like, what game is it? And he's just like, uh, uh, he just yeah walked away laughing but Mr. Beckenauer I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick <laughs> so <laughs> if you got to go you can go if you want or not hold down the line and uh, just monologue okay. 
No, I'll, I'll hang on. Yeah, okay. I better go cool. I think so. Okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll be right back, everybody. <laughs> Yeah. And again, sorry, I keep interrupting you. I, just, I get so excited. I get, and I, I'm bad about it. I get, I get very excited and I'm like, I got questions, but yeah, that's insane. Um, can you talk about, um, talked about the situation. Can you talk about like bunkers or anything or like safe rooms underground or is that off limits? Is that, uh, well, I don't think most of that stuff is available on, National Geographic magazine. You can probably go in and see where all that stuff is, what okay. the layout of it, okay. the layout of it, everything is. I think that the the locations are probably um, you, you know they're the the locations are pretty much um, well. It's like where the press conference room is, the Oval Office, in southwest corner. Yeah southeast corner and you, you walk over into down the hallway there to uh well chief staff's office all the vice president's office that going to the west and then you make a left turn you go down a bunch of stairs and uh you go into the bunker complex is where you know that's all underneath i'm not sure how deep it is or how wet it is but i think it's all concrete oh i've seen pictures anyway where when they were building it um uh, so I don't, you know, it wasn't uh, an avid. Uh, the, the neat thing is, it was is there's tunnels between everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't remember what movie it was, but it's one of them where <laughs> I think it was uh, the guy used to speak in the shoe. Uh, that it, it was a comedy, but it was a lethal weapon. It, yeah, he'd take a shoe off and he'd talk into a shoe. It was a radio. <laughs> it was kind of funny. But he would walk in the, in the movie. He walks out and, and where the front gate is, there those those big four by four posts that are there where the gate opened up. That a door opened up on that, and he'd walk out. You know, <laughs> that doesn't exist as far as I know. <laughs> what what is kind of cool. Under, you know the you were just there did you did you look at you go around the north side of the white house and you know there's a fountain there and all that water comes up right in front of the the north door 
where the president will pull up and gets out and mm-hmm. is there. I saw there's a, I saw there's, bits of it, yeah. Yeah, there's a big 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 fountain. It's you know, it's a nice, beautiful thing. There's a garden around mm-hmm. and flower. It's all pretty and everything. Underneath that is a bowling alley <laughs> and a workout room and a basketball court. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> It's a huge room. Yeah, you'd never know it was there. But when the president wants to go exercise or work out, and it's, you know, he doesn't want to disturb traffic and all this, yeah. uh, you know, he can just go over there. I don't know, Obama went over there and shot baskets all mm-hmm. the time. But he wanted to go shoot baskets with him. There was always a certain time of day when mm-hmm. you know, said you go down there in your gym clothes, you could work out with him, go bowling or whatever you want. There's a movie theater there. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the movie theater is on the east wing going over to where the first lady's offices are there's a movie theater we, we built that screen and put in the projectors and all that stuff over there for that was uh uh boy, it's a gorgeous room and a big luxury sheet you know you sit there and watch it uh, the screen's probably 10 feet what 10 feet high and 12 feet wide something like that but all the first edition movies will come out yeah. of there if he wants to see a movie he can just go over and watch a movie and all that That's so insane. it's quite the quite the facility and the thing about it it's so historical yeah you know, everything you do is because it's protected by the national historical society we want to put in a cable to, you know, there's fiber optics just came out and we want to put in fiber cable and pull all the old stuff out. Oh man. This is like, you got to go through city hall <laughs> and the bureaucracy just to run a cable to the new TV, you know, that he wants to put in or our video teleconferences facility. Oh, that was, I mean, it was like magic. And you know, the, like I said, the different layers of staff that worked there, our layer was the lowest layer. Basically you just was a fly on the wall. Yeah. And if they knew you by your first name, you, you were making a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> they, you didn't want to be known by your first name when you walked around there. They knew who you were because of what you, yeah, you did. Yeah. What do you, what do you mean when you, when you just said it, it was like magic? What do you, you mean like it was magical because it was historical or do you mean like technologically? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just you can't believe you're working in the White House, in a place that has that much history. Okay. Not has not been around that. Yeah, and then as you, I mean, it's like a, the the basement level of the old executive office building are where all the call it craft shops. Plumber mm-hmm. works in there. Your electrician works in there. All of the wood shop. You know, something breaks down in the White House. They can't just call it a plumber downtown come out and fix the toilet you know yeah. you got to have a staff member there that does that okay it cooks your uh all well your cooks are all military yeah uh the, the chief chef is yeah. not he's a regular but all of the basically the cooks that do the daily stuff and all that uh are well when i was there he was a navy chef yeah great story i'm over my my one of my goals was to eat at the white house right yeah have a dinner at the White House some night or sort of an evening for some event. I never got to accomplish that, but I did get to sneak a lot of food out of the kitchen over <laughs> <laughs> little conferences and little meetings and stuff where there were snacks in the back. I got to steal a lot of those. When we'd come in and take the podium out and take our speakers and wiring and mics out or whatever for the conference, I, we'd sneak all my texts, we'd sneak all the food out. was left. Great food. I'm telling you, White House food is fab- fabulous, you know. What, what but, is, uh, um, I was going to say, you were saying about plumbers. That got me thinking. What about, like, a fire department? 
Is that local? Is that do they have their own team? Uh, no, I think they would have to call in a uh, fire department. There, there's fire extinguishers around and everything in there. But yeah, like if somebody launched a missile into that place, well, I would think they would have to have a well, local yeah. fire. Well, I was just thinking again, mm-hmm. just from an attack standpoint, what better yeah. way than to get a bunch of Spetsnaz mm-hmm. disguised yep. as firefighters, start a fire, call in Spetsnaz, and now the White House should hire yeah. me. I should do. I should do their security. You should do that. You could put your application in there. You might get the job. You know? Maybe. Who knows? You got to think evil things, you know. Yeah, and apparently if I do. Doing that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but I was just thinking, if you have to call in a local fire department, you would infiltrate the fire department and then give them a reason to call you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, I never even gave that a thought when I was there, I guess. I'm going to put in my resume. Anyway, I was going to tell you this story. Yeah, yeah that, sorry. Uh, yeah. Cool. There is a... Um, you know the the kitchen where you do the cooking and everything is below it's in the west it's in the white house itself but it's um in the basement level it's mm-hmm. down in the corner down there and basically they just run the food up on a dumb waiter and bring it into the east wing or wherever it is they're doing the dinner or banquets and stuff in there so the kitchen the cooking and all that's done downstairs and call you know the whole process of bringing in food all that you've kind of briefed a little bit of that yourself it's all everything got to be tested sampled you know to you just you think how much food goes through that place every day and they've never had a poisoning you know it's i don't know if anybody's attempted it but you know it's it's top of the list everything in that place you bring in a pencil you better it better pass the scan test you know because it's it's everything is goes in and out of the place is scanned and checked but they have a have a uh they were having a banquet and we were setting up equipment for it and i forget now what the occasion was it's beside the point but anyway i got a chance to um uh follow the cook down he was he was setting up where we were at and i said well you know i'd love to see the kitchen sometimes he said, oh, come with me so i follow him down we, we go down and i'm showing me around and I, I, so I asked him, well, how many cooks are there? And he says, well, there's, <coughs> excuse me, I'm catching them. They, they, um, he was, he was telling me that every cook that's there has a specialty dish that they deal with. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what's yours? And he said, well, I'm the chainsaw man. I said, <laughs> shook my head. I said, what do you mean a chainsaw man? He says, well, come with me. And I go, he goes back here. And there's these little, there's two closets that are probably about four feet by six feet, uh, but they're freezers. And there's big rubber blivet in there and it's full of ice. So he's got two chainsaws there and he carves, does carvings that they, Oh. and he has two of them that he did. He made this big eagle. This eagle was about seven feet tall and would sit in the middle of a punch table, you know, and that was his job. One of the things he specialized in was making those ice sculptures. So I asked him, I said, well, how often do you do this? He said, well, I do it quite a bit. He says, I bootleg time uh, and do things for hotels and different places around town. He Mm -hmm. says that my real job is I'm a, you know, E6 in the Navy, but he says, I, I do this other stuff for hotels. And, and he says, well, my, my, all my equipment is just two two chainsaws and a blowtorch. <laughs> he would melt stuff down yeah. and get smooth things out with the chainsaw. So that was his job. And I thought, well, that's interesting little thing. Another one I ran into one time, I was, we had a, um, 
a plumbing problem. Mm-hmm. We were doing that outside of my jurisdiction with the wiring, but water was sitting in where we needed to run through this tunnel cable and stuff. I don't think he knew that it was a plumbing problem. So I, I said, well, what the heck can we do? He said, well, go down and get the plumber. And he said, come on, fix this and drain it all up. So I go down to the plumbing office, which is downstairs next to, in the basement down there on the old executive office building. I, as a, I walk in and introduce myself and explain the problem. And so I'm sitting there waiting for him to come with me. And he, I said, well, you know, what's your job here? And he said, well, I'm, how long you been here? I guess that my question was, how long you been here? He said, oh, I've been here since President Johnson was president. He's got, when you start working there, you don't quit. I mean, yeah. you, you got the best job in town yeah. and probably pretty high paying yeah. and very prestigious, yeah. you know. Good you gig. get to work on stuff that nobody in the world gets to work on. Yeah. And you can probably leave there with that on your resume and go anywhere. What did you do? Well, oh, I made ice sculptures for the White House. Yeah. Okay. You know, <laughs> Holiday Inn's going to hire you, right? That's the guy you want to call and talk on your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I'm going to be raising eyebrows. They're going to be like, why is this guy interviewing so many people around White House security? They're going to tune in. They'll be like, he's talking about putting polonium <laughs> You probably better check that microphone. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I'm going to go do a podcast there. I'm like, yeah, they would look at this, make sure there's no C4 in there. I think they should hire me. Why not? Clearly, my mind thinks that way, for better or worse. There you go. Anyway, the plumber. Yeah. I said, what, what, what interesting stories have you got? I'm sure you know you've been a fly on the wall here long enough. He said, well, probably the most interesting one that he liked to talk about anyway was when President Johnson. Of course, he came into the White House under bad circumstances with Kennedy being killed. But he said about the first morning he was there, that he had moved in, he called the plumber up there. He says, I, I went up and he said, he, he walked him into the shower and he says, this is what I want. I want, a, I want seven points of showers here coming from every direction i want you know he didn't want just one shower head he wanted seven shower heads all over he says i'm a big guy so i gotta clean off he says i'm in a hurry too so i gotta get okay. you know fair and, uh, and uh he said uh oh and he says another thing he says i want 110 pounds of pressure on there and he says i want to turn it on and it's hot instantly i don't want to sit around here waiting for you know well one well, proof didn't get what i want right <laughs> it's so he said that was a real trick, I guess, to rewire or yeah. replumb all that and put in all that. And said, but the biggest, hardest problem part was to get the temperature Instant. at exactly what he wants when he turns the water on. So you had to have one of those heater tanks right next to yeah. the shower. But you you learn real quick when you're working there that if somebody says, well, the president wants it, most of the time they don't have any idea. <laughs> You know, but supposedly you're supposed to jump three feet high in the air and just immediately do whatever you want they want, yeah. no matter what the costs are. Yeah, that, uh, that, that's a weird, that's a weird fine line, right? Because part of it's like I want these shower heads, I want these ice sculptures, and I think of like George Washington. They would probably look at that and be like, "That's a king, kill him." But then part of me is yeah. like. As soon as you said it, I was like, oh, wait, I get it. Like, I don't have time to shower. I need to step in, be clean, and step out. If you're the leader of the free world, I mean, I guess I get that argument, too. But it does seem a little like royalty. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not down with that. And it was, how like I said, I worked there through three administrations. The last four years of um, 
President Clinton, and I was eight years with President Bush. And then the first, well, I didn't work a full year under Obama and I got promoted and moved out of the building, which was a huge relief to just have that over with. Yeah. It, you know, it was a great job. I mean, it, you got to see and do things and experience things and you got to just, you know, you're a fly on the wall in the back of the room and got to witness history. Yeah. And you had access to the, to the banquets. You had access to the, you know, see the Christmas decorations. And I mean, it just, it was just a tremendous opportunity and, and uh, honor to work, you know, to be part of that. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I wouldn't, I didn't have any power trip where I'd like to be the chief of staff or something sure. like that any day. I mean, I was plenty happy just to be a schmuck and yeah. just yeah. watch what's going on around there. But, but you learned real fast that the difference between the military and politicians is just night and day. Really? How so? Uh, that, I mean, uh, in the military, there's a mutual respect. There's, 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 there's some of, general officers that are and i don't i don't think you get to be general if you don't have a super ego of some sort sure. you know there's very very humble four-star generals there are a few but for the most part i mean you yes sir no sir you in and out you didn't associate with them personally at the personal level because it was everything just do what you told and you're following orders and and that where you go into the political world though power is everything I mean, the size of the computer that they had. If he was a chief of staff, he had to have the fastest, the bestest, the biggest, the, you know, the strongest, the whatever computer. Whether he knew how to use it or not didn't matter, you know. <laughs> just, and, uh, and where you sit and the view you have out the window and the size of the window all depends on how much power you have. Just, I mean, it was just ridiculous what some of these people would do. And then... The, uh, like I said, the, the differences in the different presidents, as far as what their expectations were of the of the people that worked for them, was pretty novel too. I mean, when I worked, started working there, you know, I, was, you can blank this out probably, but Hillary was in charge. I mean, she was the one that run the place. Do, do you now, want, normally? The, do you want me to remove this? Do you want me to edit this? Uh, out? Can, okay, because I, I think it's funny. I think it's funny. It's pretty common knowledge, but I don't want her to come back and I'm committing suicide. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. For for everyone listening, neither, on who, who's listening to this? Neither but, John nor myself are suicidal. All right, for the record. Yeah, she ran the place. I mean, it was. You know, normally the first lady has four to six people that work for her, and she works over in the east wing. And that's normal protocol. I mean, President Bush's uh, Laura, I think she had like 12 people work for her. Uh, I know uh, Melania Trump, she's got only, she only got six people that work for her. They cut way back on staff. And and there's so much excess and so much waste in budgets. You can't believe it. I mean, it's just ludicrous. A waste of money that you see when you when they were compared to the military where you had to squeeze every dang dime usually. Yeah. I mean, there was some ones there, but for the most part, you didn't change computers every three weeks because you, you wanted a bigger screen, a bitter of this or new telephone and all that. I mean, these people, just because they worked at the white house, they thought they, they were gods. Yeah. You know? So yeah. it was more of a royalty thing. And especially with, with that, the Clinton administration, there was, I mean, uh, for instance, let me give you a, 
you know, we worked at night a lot because we're running cables and they don't want people doing all this kind of stuff that we did within the company working in, in the daytime when all the, all the access and to offices and stuff was going on. So we had to work at nights and we'd run cable or put in equipment and change equipment out and stuff. But you'd, you'd walk in, we were, you know, there was a, I forget what we were doing. I, I think it had to do with the video teleconferencing stuff. And we're, we're working in and back and forth in the White House, the White House itself. And I looked in on the, Oval Office one night, just looked in the door to see if anybody was around. And here's their staff officer, you know, the, what they call the, the White House interns. Mm-hmm. They run all over the place. They're, they're everywhere. Most of them are, <coughs> well, some of them are legitimate, but most of them are, most of the White House interns under Clinton were donors, big donors' children, kids. You know, a lot of them were 19 to 25 year old college kid age. You know, real smart asses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they worked at the White House, so they had all this power. They yeah. just treated quid pro quo. Yeah, they're they're sitting in there with their feet kicked up, eating pizza in t-shirts. You know, <laughs> that was the respect they had for the office they were in. That's just versus versus when the the um, Bushes came in. I mean, automatically everybody had a suit and tie on. I mean, just. You noticed that difference right away. There was no doubt that there was a new sheriff in town just by the way they walked. Everybody, I mean, Clinton, when he would hold meetings, you never knew when he was going to start. We, you know, we'd have to have stuff set up for a one o'clock press conference. He might show up at four o'clock or five o'clock, and especially on days when it was, you know, they wanted to introduce something, a story. It was always late on a Friday afternoon, you know, and the press people were just having to sit around and wait for hours sometimes. Clinton was never on time for anything. I mean, even for his presidential parade, he was two hours late <laughs> for the for the first inauguration. It was his parade started two hours late because he just is a, oblivious to time. You know, he's the president. He can do what he Sounds wants. Sounds like a power wants. move, right? Well, it was. It was just a real power especially her you know she was a uh, it's, disgusting it's, woman yeah well and I, do you know who andy stumpf is and yeah. he's uh, he was on seal team six he's been on joe rogan's podcast a couple times well a lot of like mm-hmm. the, as you know the inner circles of secret service once you get to that level a lot of them are former seal team six delta force i mean they're ready to they're ready to fight at a moment's notice right they dress yeah. up in suits but these guys are commandos he said yeah. that this is Andy Stumpf. This isn't me. This is uh, he was on SEAL Team Six, or DevGrew, and uh, he was talking on Joe Rogan a couple of years ago, and he was like, uh, he was uh, he was like, yeah, one of my buddies who was on SEAL Team Six was working on her like security detail at the White House, and uh, she was like walking down the hall, and he opened the door for her as she's going to the limo, and he says, "Good morning, Mrs. Clinton." And she just screams, shut the fuck up. And he was like, of course, you know, you can't do anything. You just nod and close the door. But he was like, another one of his friends got on an elevator with her. And he goes, uh, he's like, morning, ma'am. And she looks at him and says, I don't talk to the hired guns. Yeah, yeah. She just was indignant with anybody. Basically, the order was, you don't make eye contact with her. If you're in the hallway, get out of the way. 
And if you can get invisible, get invisible to her because she just was. Well, I, if you were you weren't her level, you know, it was basically your schmucks. Yeah. Don't look at me. Don't talk to me unless I talk to you. And you know, and she had the most foul mouth of any woman I have well, ever. I've. I just couldn't believe how foul mouth she was. And then you saw the chemistry between the two of them. If they were in the room, and the both of them were in the same room with a camera, smiles, la di da, oh, we love each other. As soon as that camera left, boom, separate ways. That's it. Yeah, you didn't see. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah. A lot of that was going on. I didn't get. I, you know, because I'm flying a wall and I, I avoided as much as yeah. I could contact with any of that kind of thing. But I was just very observant as to how different qualities the different presidencies were and the people that worked for them. Yeah. Uh, it was a real education for me, you know. Yeah. Uh, comment as uh, I had on Juanita Broderick, who was raped by mm -hmm. Bill Clinton. She came on mm -hmm. this podcast and she is the sweetest woman in the world. I love you, Juanita. She came on here, and in her book um, called "You Better Put Some Ice on That: How I Survived Being Raped by Bill Clinton," Bill Clinton's a psychopath. After he raped her, he looked at her and said, "You should put some ice on that," because her lip was bleeding because he was biting her lip while he was raping her. So if she started to make noise, he would bite harder. That just lets you know who that guy is. But she said the most scared she's ever been in her life wasn't when she was being raped, but rather when Hillary came up to her and shook her hand and said it's so nice to meet you bill said she said you know i could i knew what it was and she was saying like don't you ever say a word he's running for president he said she, juanita said that's the most scared she's ever been in her life is when hillary shook her hand and looked her in the eye and said bill said so much about you she was like i felt like i was looking into the eyes of satan <laughs> like yeah that's yeah, not I my words it. i'm just repeating what she said yeah. <sighs> but i mean you're right i mean it is. yeah it is what I it is, is. I differences on it. They said that when Bush came in the first morning, he you know he says business hours start at seven, and he said everybody's supposed to be here at seven. Well, Clinton come in between ten and noon sometimes, but Clinton would work till two or three o'clock in the morning. Sure. I mean, I mean, he just he was a workaholic. Yeah, but he didn't. He he wasn't a morning person no. at all. Or Bush was business. Bush was businessman. Of course, he was politician but he you know he ran businesses and it was very businesslike with him i mean suits and ties mm -hmm. proper manners no swear words yeah. uh, you know he had staff people interns everybody just down the line just a bunch of quality folks yeah clinton area you know, i don't know if you remember the, the porno episode that got into somebody reported to the newspaper that they were watching porno at the white house <laughs> i didn't know that oh yeah that was all over the well washington post anyway i don't know how international it got but that was that was another thing that was going on of course my boss comes to me and he says can you tell me how many people are are you able to monitor who's watching, who's looking at what websites and how long they look at them? I said, well, I don't know. I'll find out for you. So talk to our technicians and I said, well, it's not legal, but we can do it if you tell us to, <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to wire that. He yeah. said, well, this is the president. The president wants to know. So I guess that makes it legal, right? So 
they did the, the they did the survey and boy they found out there was interns looking at porno six eight hours a day multiple multiple people were looking at porno sites this is inside the 18 acres it sounds more than anything it sounds like a power trip mm-hmm. i mean well they didn't have, any, didn't have anything else to do yeah i mean what better way to uh, sort of exert your power right? yeah I do nothing. I watch porn at the White House. That's yeah. how high up I am. Yes, when when you know I, we reported it. Of course, I thought well, a lot of people were going to get fired and thrown out of the building. But no, you know, they got the little letter comes out, a little memo. It says uh, we've been observing that this has been going on. And yeah, we we need it to cease. Nobody hung for it. Rules I guarantee you, Bush, Bush, <laughs> that would happen to his administration. There would have been no interns left. <laughs> you know, that's doing yeah. such a thing. I mean, that's insane. I mean, yeah, it's. I mean, there's a there's a really good book I think you would enjoy, and it's called Air Force One. I don't know if it's on Audible. I remember reading the physical book uh, a couple of years ago, uh, but it's just a. Uh, it's from FDR through. I want to say Bush. I think it was written then. It was before Obama. But it's just first-hand accounts of the presidents on Air Force One and how Mm -hmm. they said that's where you saw the real personality because even the White House, although it's their home, it's still very much a global stage. You know, everything's choreographed. It's all optics. Set on the White House, you can put the press in the back. You can basically lock them in there. And then they have this little bubble you know, 35,000 feet, no one's around. It's, they can do and kind of say whatever they want. They can actually be themselves. And they said, that's when you'd see their personalities come out. And it's interesting. They all do have their own person. Like you said, I mean, Clinton is like, yeah, very, he was, you know, kind of very relaxed, informal, playing cards a lot. But with the, the author does a good job. And I don't think you or I can do it, but he does a very good job at being unbiased. And he goes, they all had their own methods to their madness. They're like, yeah, Cl- yeah. Clinton would yeah. stay up till four in the morning, but he got the, he got the job done. He just did it in a. It's kind of like the George Patton quote: "Don't don't tell people how to do something. Tell them what you want done, and let them surprise you with their ingenuity." So, like, yeah. whereas Reagan might have been an early riser, or Bush was an early riser, or whatever, you'd have, or you know, LBJ was an asshole, or something. They said at the end of the day, like, they still got the job done. So it was kind of, you know, if you get to that level, regardless of how nice you are, if you're a mean or a good person, the reality is, is you have to be intelligent. You don't get to the Oval Office not being intelligent. Well, yeah. Then I think of the three that I work for, uh-huh. Clinton, head and shoulders above anybody when it came to intelligence. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. You'd sit in a press conference. I mean, he'd, he'd take questions. Yeah. You could not stump him. I mean, like, yeah. you know, who's the president of Zimbabwe? Yeah. He knew. Yeah. He, he, he could rattle off statistics and figures yeah. all right out of his head. Yeah. No, I mean, you got to, yeah, you got to respect the intelligence. You're smart. I mean, you just tend to have a lick of common sense. I mean, how yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bring in a new intern <laughs> and get involved in an affair at yeah. the White House, the yeah. Oval Office. Yeah, it's but that, yeah, that's what this author said a lot was like, you don't have to like them. He's like, you can dislike a president, but he was like, you got to understand these guys are the most wildly intelligent people. He was like, you don't 
he was like Nixon. He talks about um, he talks about uh, it was I forget who it was. There was a journalist that hated Nixon. He thought he was the in his words thought he was like the devil incarnate. And then he said, like, after he was impeached or left the White House or whatever, he was with him at some dinner party in Manhattan. And it's just one on one. And it's this, like, super liberal guy that just hates Nixon. And he goes, I'll be damned. He goes, if that wasn't the most, like, profound intellectual conversation I've ever had in my life. And he's like, I want to hate this guy. But it's but it's kind of like, you know, you don't have to like the quarterback of a team. But guess what? If they're the quarterback who just won the, the Super Bowl you got to respect the game right that's that's how i try to look at it as much as i you know i lean right and i as much as i like to shit on uh more liberal leaning people the reality is is you got to respect you got to respect competence and intelligence you don't have to like them you don't have to agree with them but i mean you know yeah and and you know as a well as a military guy come across and then you throw me into that environment sure uh, I mean, it was a real education to start with, but what an experience, you know, to be able to do that. And uh, I was just in awe most of the time, no matter who was in there, yeah. at how things operate at that level. It's just incredible. You know? And I was just like, no way I could do this. You know? There's just no way I could do what they do. Yeah, operates like a like a switch. I come across as a real buffoon compared to what they do. Yeah. That's yeah. As sometimes they do. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, some of them, and then you got to remember they also have they all have their own flaws. I mean, oh, Kennedy. Sweet. I mean, how sharp was Kennedy? But Kennedy was having girls climb out the back window before Jackie got home. I mean, yeah. like that's that's insane. And then not only that, like the press would agree to be quiet. Like uh, Johnson used to answer questions on the toilet. But it was like a gentleman's agreement that they weren't going to make the president look like an idiot. So they never would say in the papers, you know, while he was pooping with his pants down, he answered questions. But it was just, you know, it was this, <laughs> yeah. Tr- Truman used to uh, Truman would have the the. And again, I'm sorry. I know I keep interrupting you. There's like a one second delay between you and I. So but Truman used to fly over the states or when he was flying over the states of senators that he didn't like. He would have them dump the septic tank. <laughs> a great story. <laughs> Truman was insane. They said he would come out of the bathroom. He says pants around his ankles. He'd come out like, you know, he'd just you know how Truman looked insane sometimes. Yeah, you know, he he'd come out clapping. He'd be like, take that, and they'd be like, you know, I think like one of the running jokes was like it wasn't enough that he dropped two bombs on Japan, so he's still dropping bombs at home. But like, <laughs> it's. Yeah, LBJ used to LBJ LBJ used to take his he would take his penis out on Air Force One. Swear to God, he would take it out, and apparently he was just well hung. And he would take it out. <laughs> it's uh, take it for what you will. You don't do that stuff anymore. You know, no, no. Uh, JFK used yeah. to go on there and have a couple drinks, take his, uh, his the medicine for his back and pass out and then his dog would run up and down the aisles and no one ever wanted to tell the dog to shut up because it was the president's dog <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah yeah well I, I don't know if I've, I've got a whole lot more stories I can tell you but uh, I think the, the key thing that I was involved in uh, was after 9-11 mm-hmm. was um, establishing the 
Homeland Security offices and setting all that up. Boy, what a yeah. tremendous experience that was. I was 18 hours a day for about nine months straight. I was sleeping on the job a lot of times just to get that up. Basically, they came to us. They came to our company and said, well, here's mega millions of dollars. We need this turnkey operation in six months. Can you make it happen? And uh, my boss, he never turned down anything. Yeah, we, you know, we can make that happen. Go ahead. Like I told you beforehand. I need to use the restroom. So I'm going to do that, and I'll come back, and then we'll jump into this story. Sorry. All right, very good. No problem. for your patience um so you remind me you know you raise your hand go to the bathroom when uh i grew up you know, like i said in the farm country in nebraska here mm-hmm. we had we had the old one-room schoolhouses yeah. back then yeah you raise your hand number one was to go number one and number two is to go, go by so poop you had to go number one or number two you know? and if you're shaking it means it's really you had to shake your hand to, in order to because the outhouse was out yeah. behind the school you know? yeah that's yeah that's the it's, i just drink i drink so much water that's the pro- i mean i also think i have a weak bladder but i just that's the problem is like i like when the podcast is going like I have to go because otherwise like the conversation won't be good because I won't be paying attention. I'll just be like, I have to go to the bathroom. But yeah. so sorry. So Department of Homeland Security, so this is after 9-11. They said that they need this turnkey thing and we need yeah, it on this day. Basically, uh, well, the first the first task was set up uh, 40, 40 offices. So a turnkey operation. And uh, they didn't know where to put it to start with. Uh, they, they they set up about six offices in the uh, old executive office to start with. That was the office of Homeland Security. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's his name? Tom Ridge came down to Governor Ridge from Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and he was he was made the director. I don't think it was director level yet, but anyway, he was he was put in charge of it. And then Homeland Security department was going to move out they well they took me and a couple other guys in a van uh, no windows set in the back and we drive out and we, i didn't have any idea where we were but we we drove about 45 minutes and we i know we went through a secure gate <laughs> there were guards at the gate because we saw that and we would drive down this little wood wood road somewhere in the woods and come up on this little building and we get in the building and we go down in an elevator and we get down in uh, i don't know 30 40 feet i mean it was 
20, 30 seconds before we got to the bottom thing. And the doors open up and here's this great big room. And in it are reel-to-reel tape recorders and old transistor radios. I mean, this used to be a uh, nuclear attack off-site where they moved the Pentagon Communications Center, would move out there in a nuclear attack. And they'd run the the skiff out there from this room. And uh, we we were, well, they they asked us, you know, well, would this work? for Hosanna Homeland Security offices. Well, we gave that thumbs down. It's too far away. Uh, no support. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do it. And so they took us to a couple other sites like that. I had no idea those places even existed. You know, they're up, and they're all within 30 minutes of downtown Washington, D.C. Yes. And they're still out there, but yeah. they're, you know, old, worn out uh, facilities. And they end up finally, uh, going to the Navy yard, which was on uh, Nebraska Avenue out by University of, uh, or called American American University. You know, the National Cathedral is, it's up that general out, area out there is where, where it was then. I think they've now since moved it over onto the Maryland side. So pretty close to where, not too far from, from uh, Andrews Air Force Base mm-hmm. up the road from where you're at there. But anyway, they, they, uh, they wanted one to build the skiff right away and then two, they wanted offices for like 40 people, which would eventually expand to like 400 people, I think it was gonna to be total. So, I mean, they dumped this on and money was not an issue. Mm-hmm. What, you know, was right after 9-11, national security was all, everything was tech nuke, you gotta get everything done now. It has to be done yesterday and there's double redundancy and everything to it. So that was a, I mean, that was, that was a, pretty intense time and to put all that stuff together and to make it work first time was quite a quite a feat and they had a uh oh a team of um i guess they they were skiff builders we we subcontracted in and, and brought in these facilities but what we found out was this place is where um when the pearl harbor hit they sent the Okay. Telegram to Washington D.C. through the Navy office. That was that was uh, historically was where that message sat in that one of those offices oh, in the back. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was pigeonholed. Yeah. yeah, so that was another little bit of history we got to experience in in doing that. But building that out and putting it up there was pretty interesting because one of the the conference rooms they had they wanted. The president came out there one day, and vice president, I guess, to start with. He came in and he, he looked at the conference room. He said, what I want is a table where I can have my whole staff sit here and I can push a button here from the front of the office, in front of my table, he said, and, and a screen will pop up and I can push another button and I can talk to the governor of uh, whatever state, you know. Can you make that happen? Oh, sure, we can make that happen. And he looks at me and says, how do we make that happen? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Let me get the technicians in here. We'll find out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but anyway, he wanted to be able to, in this room, he wanted, and this is when flat screen monitors were just coming out. You know, the TVs that were like 40 inches and they were $20,000 a piece. Mm-hmm. And, about and he wanted them all the way around this room, one for every governor. So he could have a press conference and talk to 50 governors at one time. So the original Zoom. 
yeah, exactly. And this is, I mean, way ahead of what technology was at the time. You know, you're going to do a video teleconference with 50 people at the same time to wire that control board up to that would happen. You know, that was a real feat. These guys would just come out of the woodwork and would work on this stuff and make it happen. Well, he goes off somewhere to a meeting in Chicago or something, and he sits in a meeting with the mayor of Chicago or something. Anyway, he sees these new monitors in this conference room up there, and they're like 52 inches instead of the 40 inches. Oh, I want those. <laughs> so we get this directive. Come down. And of course, this skiff is built to fit 40, these screens 40. 40 inches. Now we want 52 inch screens. We haven't even turned a lot of these on yet, right? <laughs> Perfect government waste. Well, oh, no kidding. Take them all down, rebuild the room so he could fit 50 of them in. Uh, it was a, it was something else. And then, of course, the table, you know, got bigger and bigger because they wanted bigger laptops and, you know, screens in front of them and that. And that control board that ran that whole thing was just amazing. You know, whoever wired that thing had got that thing to work. And I, I don't know as I ever used it. Yeah. <laughs> that was sad. You know. I'm, I'm going to text you an audio book that you should really listen to. I had on the author, uh, Garrett Graff. I'll text it to you. Is uh, it's called Raven Rock because Raven Rock is one of those right. You got NORAD, Mount Weather, Raven Rock, uh, the Greenbrier. You've got some, un- but like you're talking about, that's they call it the relocation arc because it's not one bunker. There's bunkers all within thirty to forty-five minutes from downtown DC. Um, but this book it was it was like a national bestseller. This guy goes in and he starts with FDR and goes through, I believe the Obama administration, maybe the first part of the Trump administration. But he goes through it, and it's all about what you're talking about, skiffs and communications and redundance and secondaries, tertiaries, coordinaries, like backups, like nuclear blast blows out, like, you know, it vaporizes the antenna tower. They have these, you know, automated bulldozers that come and push off all the rubble. A silo opens up, and a new tower comes out and springs up, just backups on backups on backups, and these bunkers, and they're all on these big rubber springs, and there's... You would love it. As someone that did communications, you would love it. Yeah. It is... It is. Yeah. I've listened to that book so many times. Easily top five favorite books all time. What's the name of the book? Raven Rock. Raven Rock. Yeah, okay. R-A-V-E-N-R-O-C-K. Uh, it's a... Uh, the U.S. government's plan to save itself while the rest of us die by Garrett Graff. Uh, I'll send. I'll send it to you. It's uh, I finally. I've been. T- I talked about the book nonstop for a year, and then I finally got the author to come on. But uh, but he knows his stuff, man. He's a. He's like a Georgetown, I think, political history professor. He's brilliant. But this book is so. It's insane. On the day of Pearl Harbor, they didn't have. Uh, they didn't have an armored. Uh, limo or van or whatever for uh, FDR so the head of the secret service went to the federal impound and they took Al Capone's repossessed yeah. armored uh, armored car and they they put some flags on it and they, they yeah put some flags on it hoped no one would notice it and they put FDR in it and because this thing was meant to take you know 
he Al Capone, yeah, you know, yeah. the rival gangs of yeah. Tommy Guns, you know, yeah, yeah, Valentine's Day Massacre. Day. Yeah, they flat they slapped some American flags on it. I think they put a siren, and they're like, "There you go, Mr. President." And FDR was just like, "Whatever," <laughs> like you know. But that's all in that book, and it's it's insane. I think you would legitimately love it. It's yeah. yeah. Take a look at that. Yeah, yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. Can you go further into the Department of Homeland Security stuff you did, or is that you set it up and then? Well, yeah, I set it up, and then I basically that's when I got promoted, and then you know I got sent up and became the training officer, and and I mean it was great for me because it got me. I, I my commute was reduced from forty five minutes to like ten minutes from yeah. the house. Yeah, it was great, and I had a whole all i had to do was look after the technicians get training set up for the company and then set up the emergency emergency evacuation plans for the company and basically it was my retirement job because yeah. i'm on my way out the door for that so yeah. do you uh yeah. do you miss it uh well the excitement of it not the pressure yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. it, it, it's really taxing on you like i guess had 30 years in the military and then to take on that job was even more higher stress than that. Yeah. And uh, especially after 9-11, there was not a, you know, like I said, there's no no room for error. You could not make a mistake. You had all the pressure of politicians around you. Mm-hmm. Just, just one mistake and you're, you're no. gone, you know. Yeah. Basically lose a really good job. Uh, I worked for really good people for the most part. Sure. As, I didn't have to deal with the politicians. That was that was their job. They dealt with that, and there was a buffer for that. My job was just basically to make sure that press conferences went off good, the radio message was recorded every week and broadcast out, make sure the computers were working, make sure the radios were working. Uh, oh, another interesting story, too. They, when President Clinton was the president, when you called the telephone, by telephone to the office at uh, they call the White House by telephone to talk to somebody. You went to an answering service. You know, if you get this, this is the White House. If you want this in person, you dial one, you dial two, dial three, whatever. Well, Bush came into office and <laughs> somebody tried to call <laughs> and they go through this process and somebody complained, what the heck, I got to talk to the president, I got to go through one for English and two for Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what the heck, I want that fixed. Yeah. So whenever anybody calls the White House, I want to talk to, I want them talking to a person, Yeah. you know, so look at me and said, well, you make that happen, you know? So we, we were our company in charge of the telephone system. So we had to hire a whole bunch of secretaries or telephone operators. And of course they worked in a remote building done by state department and everything was wired back and forth, but 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we had at least four people on job. And, and during the duty, normal duty hours, you, you had up to 12, 14, operators working in there all the time having to do all that of course it wasn't a real high paying job yeah and to try to get people and we had a high turnover all the time trying to teach them proper manners know the staff members of course the protocols the manner the politeness all that stuff had to come into effect and that i mean we had some of the scum of the earth applying for the jobs I mean, it's like and they and then they had to have top secret clearances you know 
telephone operator with a top secret clearance was almost impossible to find. Yeah. You know, so that was a real hiring nightmare to keep that office running. And uh, I'm not sure what they're doing now with any of that, but that was just you know just one of those things that when you manage an office like that in a place like that, there's just the things you have to do that that you never find anywhere else. You know? Yeah, maybe at the Pentagon, but not. Yeah. Not that I was ever connected to. So yeah, that's got to be something that's it's like enjoyable. Probably happy that you did it. Like that was a cool experience. But I'm it's finished. Neat. Yeah, but yeah. I'm finished. I'm glad I'm out of it. I don't. I don't miss it one bit. I think yeah. that's what it was. Maybe it was Obama. Maybe it was. I don't remember. I don't remember who. Who knows? Jimmy Carter. I don't remember. Some president. But I remember they said like, uh, like the day I left the White House. Like the moment the next guy was sworn in, he was like, there was a weight that lifted off my shoulders. Like I can never explain to you. He's just like, I'm out. Like coach, coach took me out and they put in someone else and I get to sit down on the bench and just breathe. Well, I said there was two, two times I experienced that kind of feeling. Yeah. One was when I finished Vietnam, got on the airplane to come home and we took off and the gear comes up. And you just, that's <sighs> over. I can, I am going home. Yeah. You know? And the same thing happened, basically the same feeling when I walked out of there the last time and you take your badge off and you, you lay that baby down and you say, I'm not coming back in here unless I'm with somebody that's got one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm finished. Yeah. Like, it is over. Yeah. You know? Did your Done. part. You served. You walk away and you think, okay, I might miss this for like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> You'll you'll remember the good parts and you'll miss those. Yes. You won't, you know. Can you do it? I gotta say that I I worked in the same copy room that had the shredder in it that Oliver North shredded his documents. <laughs> yeah, how many people can say that? How many people can say that, right? Yeah, yeah. Well that's I mean, again, it's everything you do in that, right? It's I mean, how many people can walk around the halls and like there were aides running yeah. up and down here and saying, you know, the Japanese just bur- bombed Pearl Harbor, right? It's like how many, you yeah. know, or, you know, this is, you know, Kennedy was shot. Or you can go back even further. Lincoln was shot, right? Like, yeah. or hey, the British yeah. are outside. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you're working in the same office, hey, you know, President Lincoln, you sit right there. Yeah, <laughs> that's got to right? have an effect on you. Yeah. Every president... Except for Washington, sat in this office. It was like, jeepers. Yeah, that's got to, right? It's got to get you Never going. get that. Yeah. yeah. So you don't lose. You, I, I guess I never lost that. Yeah. Awesomeness feeling, you know, that you're part of that. Yeah. And you're just a tiny little speck of it. But a part but of it. A part of it. Yeah. You got to see things and do things that very few people get to you know percentage of people yeah that's got to be i mean i got to imagine that 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 like elevates you to another level right i mean i remember i mean i even in middle school i remember playing basketball and it's like you can you know practice as hard as you want and learn to you know get better cardio capabilities but it's like when it's like a home game and all your friends are cheering like you just you just bump it up to another level that you didn't know is possible i imagine working in the white house there's got to be some like energy reserve that you tap into because it's just like, you know, like these halls aren't for losers. 
Like this is the apex of the world, right? It's yeah, you know sure. Truman walked up and down here, right? Eisenhower walked up and down here. Like it's you got to tap into something deep. This will happen. Yeah, you know that that way when you go up on the Capitol Hill and that too, or any of those buildings. I, one of the crazy things during Civil War, right across the street from the White House on the west side on 17th Street was the jail where they kept senior ranking civil war southern officers jesus you know that no that's got yeah and, one of the, and i had no idea we know now it's just an office building of some kind yeah. but they've got a little room down in the basement where one of the cells you can walk down in there and see what the cells look like yeah know? yeah I didn't realize that was weird yeah. and then you walk to the end of that hallway there's this big steel door you open that steel door and it's a tunnel underneath the street that goes to the White House. President Lincoln used to walk across that tunnel and come over and BS with the soldiers that were in the jail. <laughs> come, <laughs> what? Over. <laughs> come over That's, and talk shit. You know? Yeah. That's you know, insane. Like little stories like yeah. that. You FDR had a, uh, had a ramp, obviously, obviously in a wheelchair. FDR had a ramp that they... Uh, they built a special tunnel because they had a bunker under the White House that was, I think, fully built for the first time for Truman. But a couple of years prior, they realized they didn't have something like that. So what they did is they built a ramp under the, if I remember correctly, under the White House. I don't know how long this was or if it was a series of ramps, but it went to the, it went to the, the Fed. It went to the Treasury or whatever because they figured they're like, hey, that vault that they have. It's better than any bomb shelter we have. So it's just like, that's another weird is, and the company that made vault doors, it's called the Mosler Safe Company, M-O-S-L-E-R, if I recall correctly. FDR was like, so they had this, like, you know, their secret service was like, we're going to roll you down this ramp. And they specifically made it a ramp. So even if we're all dead, you can roll down, you go into this vault where all, you know, gold is. But the Mosler Safe Company was also this is an international company they made some of the vault doors for banks in hiroshima and nagasaki and part of it was a you know what granted a little little morbid but their selling point was is like owners of these banks that did survive they were like hey you know despite the fact that 150,000 people were just killed they're like for whatever it's worth none of the papers in here even got wrinkled and so the mosler safe company they went out in the late 40s, if not early 50s, to the Nevada test site, and they took these they took these bank vaults and they put them out there because you know how they construct all these towns and stuff to see how nuclear effects yeah. had different effects on different timber. They tried different wood, different paint. Did it reflect the thermal pulse? The Mosler Safe Company went out there and they were like, hey, let's build this safe, and they put in all these documents. You know, and so, of course, it's the 40s, so it's this ornate, almost um, like Victorian safe and the the blast goes off and obviously it like destroys all of like the the engravings and the ornate little pieces of decoration and whatever but the inside of it was absolutely fine like there was like chinaware inside papers and so they used it as an advertisement stunt and this is all in raven rock the book i'm going to send you they used it as like yeah. an advertisement set like they're like hey look like you know a nuke can go off a mile away well the government looked at it and they were like hey do you want to make bank doors or do you want some lucrative government contracts so the mosler safe company started making all the vault doors for all the bunkers all the continuity of government cog bunkers including the big doors in norad mount weather the greenbrier hotel raven rock site r 
all of these things, Mosler made the uh, the doors for them. And that's that's how they started to get their money because they realized they're like, hey, these guys know how to make a door that will survive a nuclear blast. I don't know how I got on that tangent, but yeah. <laughs> Little side story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just... Where's the company located? Are they still in business, do you know? Mosler? I would, imagine, I would imagine they're still in business. I don't think uh I don't think they ever stopped building those things. I think the ones we know about are the ones yeah. that are defunct. I don't think they ever stopped building them. It's Yeah. There's something like that. Yeah. Interesting to find out. It is an incredible book. It's insane. But um yeah. What so, what title? Is that a cliffhanger or something or a code name or what? Raven Rock? I Raven believe Rock. it's the code name for <laughs> what it is, is it's uh the actual I guess bunker or facility. It's called Site R, S I T E space R, Site R. Um mm-hmm. I think it was like the newer iteration of Mount Weather. I think it was closer by, I don't remember what it was for, but it's called Site R. And I think their logo was like a raven, and so it, it kind of became known as Raven Rock. But um, that's just the name the guy chose for the book. But the book is about like nuclear bunkers and the its continuity yeah. of government, how the government survives in the case of a you know all the the backup governments like the B team, the C team, the order of succession uh, documents, um, saving money so that in a post nuclear world they could start to have currency again. Um, the post office was supposed to act as a um, it would carry out the dead it would go around and it's all they would deliver like vaccines in case of like biological warfare it's all this crazy crazy stuff and a lot of a lot of double uses um, the freezers and the bunkers would double as morgues or uh, so they could put the bodies in there without having them rot it's a uh, it's insane the Greenbrier Hotel which was for Congress it was um and no one knew about it until it was declassified but it was a bunker for congress hiding in plain sight that they could go to and it had all they all had their own cot they all had their own desk with their name on it and that, like you said it's all you know the more important guys had bigger desks with bigger shinier plaques they, yeah. <laughs> they kept all their prescriptions there back into the 70s i mean what are you on are you on this antibiotic are you on this heart medication they kept like a year's worth of their medications there and then when someone would get voted out and a new senator or congressman would come in they'd switch everything they'd have all their documents there they'd have changes of clothes so that when they came on they could take off their irradiated clothes and burn them and um there was even a stash of alcohol in case of any, in case of any alcoholic senators needed to be weaned off, they can't have someone going through uh, delirium tremens in a nuclear war. And then there was also there was also a lot of birth control and condoms because they were bringing secretaries out there, and these people weren't stupid. They're like they all these guys cheat, and they all have mistresses. It's a crazy book. I think you would love it. I love it. I've never once introduced that book to someone who's not enjoyed it. It is. You don't even have to be a big fan of this stuff. It is so wildly interesting. It's. Yeah. I think you'd love it. Well, definitely got my interest in it. Yeah, it's. Uh, oh yeah, and especially all the communications and stuff. The, the, the flash, the different levels of community, the backbone. It's all insane. It's. Um. Yeah. I'm, I'll text. I'll text the link to you. But um. You and I just we just, we just did another two hours, man. We just we did back to back two hour podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> we, 
hey, well, that's a sign of a good podcast is when I can talk to it because I normally start to burn out around an hour. The fact that you and I have done back to back two hours, man, that means you're a good guest for whatever it's worth. That means you're a good guest. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. let's um, I'm going to send you that list of guests that you mentioned to me yesterday. Yeah, I said I was going to give you that today. I'll, I promise you I'll get that in the email. No rush. No, 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 yeah. no, no rush at all. I was just going to, you know, get, get the ball rolling. And like I said, for every 10 guests I ask, one says yes. So, I mean, if I can even get one of those guys, that would be, I would love yeah. to get all of them. But I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, it's no rush, man. It's, you know, do it whenever you want. It's, I don't want to, I don't want to make a chore. Yeah. Well, if I, if I don't do it right away, I'm, I'll forget it. Okay. Well, then I'm going to hold you to it. I'm going to make you do it right yeah. away. But hold me to it. I'll get it. If I don't, if I, you haven't got it by 48 hours, send me a signal. I'll, Remind me, we'll I will. I absolutely will. And um, yeah, so everyone listening to this one, go check out the episode yesterday. We talked about your time in uh, Vietnam as a pilot. And um, well, we're at one fifty nine thirty two. We got twenty seven seconds, twenty six seconds left. I'm going to push it to where we have two hours. We got to do it. We're so close. It's oh, so there are people that like donate to the podcast, and I I decided yesterday I was going to start reading them out. Right now, there are three people that donate. Kyrell, AJ, and Garrett. So shout out to those guys. And uh, we're running down the clock. We got six seconds left to go for two hours. All right, very good. Blah, blah, blah. No, we can't go yet. You can't go yet. Two hours. Now we're good. Now you can go. Yeah, Mr. Beckenhauer, right. thank you so much, sir. Um, I'll send you a link when it's up. Probably be up tomorrow. And I'll send you a text right now so that I follow up with you on those guests. And thank you so much for coming on, man. And those are some awesome stories. And I definitely hope to have you on a third time sometime. You can scrounge together some yep. more stories. Yeah, we can talk about retired life. Yeah, <laughs> let's do that. Let's do that. I'm I'm down for that. That's why I tried to get on General Mattis. I wrote a letter to his secretary and I asked if General Mattis would come on and talk about retirement. And she said that well, he was you know? See, he's not holding any office anywhere or any place. You know, he's probably, some, probably got a cushy job. Executive board level making yeah. four hundred thousand a year he's doing nothing. Just doing nothing, just waving probably good for him i would too <laughs> so uh i can't i can't fault him but um mr beckenauer thank you so much sir and um as always everybody god bless america stay safe love each other and thanks for watching right. have a good one man bye-bye